0: If you would, hold your Bibles up high. If this is your first time here, this is our Bible confession, just opening our hearts to God and and what He might want to say to each of us individually. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've been doing a series entitled Look and See, and uh, our hope is that we can open our eyes to what God has for us individually, what he has for his church, uh, for his kingdom. Uh, but before we do that, I want to take a moment and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. i uh, very troubled with what's going on in that part of the world, and uh, we know that uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and uh, we are grafted into Israel. The New Testament said, but Israel is God's chosen people. And he tells everyone, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And for those of you that have been watching and hearing, maybe you haven't, uh, Palestine has attacked Israel, surprise attack, and now uh, Israel has declared war. Uh, my prayer is number one to protect the children of God. Number two, may it go quickly and the war end. Many innocent lives have already been taken. And uh, as the church, a priority for us is to stand And this week, uh, be praying for Israel. But uh, right now, I'd like for us to pray together. Uh, If you'll join me, Father, we uh, call upon your name. We know that Israel is your chosen people. And we stand with Israel. We pray for them, that there would be... uh, protection, that further protection, God, and that in the midst of this you would bring peace. And Lord, I pray that the war would end quickly and that, Lord, you would preserve lives on both sides by putting a cease to this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, continue to pray for Israel, if you would. Uh, last week, I, I began talking about looking into the promise of God Um, Most of us are motivated by promise. Some of us were taught by punishment. And uh, the way the world works and the world system, punishment brings enough pain to get our attention. But it doesn't bring enough to keep us focused on the promise. Uh, That's how come in school back in the day, uh, there was uh, paddles in the principal's office. Uh, and somehow there was a connection between here and here, um, and it got our attention. Now, it didn't change us necessarily, but it reminded us that if we got out of line, we would be punished. And punishment, uh, wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I know nowadays you you can't even say boo to a kid without going to jail, uh, But my dad used to say when I came home, he found out I got SWATs, he said, well, uh, now you need to get one here. He never went and got on to the principal, never said but it was, was, the goal was to keep us kids who didn't know much uh, on the straight and narrow. Now, once we grow, obviously, that really doesn't work well. We've even found in uh, our system, our our, uh, prison systems, that there's some good, I mean, that that you're putting somebody behind saying you need time to think about what you've done. But the reality is, it doesn't necessarily change who we are. It may change how we behave, but it doesn't change who we are. So God, rather than saying, you know, I'm I'm going to punish you, He said, I'm going to give you a promise to draw you out of the place of punishment. And Israel uh, was captive in Egypt, and they couldn't see outside of Egypt. They worked night and day, getting straw and brick, and And so they were stuck in this system that was never going to offer them any opportunity to change but God. You may be in an Egypt right now. You may be in what you consider a very painful situation and that you just, your head down all the time and you just can't see because your head is down. And that's how come the Bible says lift up your eyes. Lift them up. And see what God has for you. But so often when we're beat down, we're punished, we're shamed, whatever it might be. We can't even imagine that God has anything for us. And so when we finally get to that place where we understand, I think God has something better for me. Last week I talked about good, better, and best. And so many people today, so you've asked them, how are you doing? I'm okay. How is it? Things are good. And there's not necessarily a bad thing, but the devil would love for us to stay at that place of good. He would love it if we, we didn't believe God beyond good. That if we just said, okay, it's okay, I'm okay. And that mentality doesn't prevent us from going to heaven. doesn't prevent us from having a good life. But I believe your best life lies ahead. And so when God sent Moses into Egypt... He went in with the idea of bringing Israel into their best place. And he didn't say, I'm just going to bring you into your own land. You're going to have your own property. You're going to have your own homes. You're not going to have to make bricks. God says, no, I have a place that is so unimaginable to you that let me explain it to you. It is a place flowing with milk and honey. It is the best place For my people and so if the devil can keep you from knowing the Bible reading the Bible declaring the promises you'll live a good life and many people just want to go to heaven that's all a lot of people and I was one of those when I got saved I just wanted to go to heaven and then when I started going to church I still had a grasshopper mentality I was still with the ten spies that went in and came back and said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. I still had that mentality that, God, it's all good. It's all good. It's okay. I'm going to heaven now. But then I started hearing words that the plans God has for you is to prosper you, not to harm you, he plans to give you a hope in a future. And I went, huh, I wonder how that works. I've never heard that before when I first, as a kid growing up, I never heard that. I, I, you know, it was like, well, God provides, and he does, and that's great. But there's a level of provision that you say is good, and then there's that provision that causes you or enables you to be able to help other people because you have more than enough in you. And so, as I talked about last week, you know, when when Abraham uh, was going in and, and God was addressing Abraham, he used the words, he's God Almighty. Well, God Almighty in the Hebrew means El Shaddai. It's the word El Shaddai, and it means he's more than enough, and he's more than sufficient. So, people who say, well, you know, it's just sufficient. No, God is more than sufficient. He's more than enough. He has more than we can ever think, ask, or imagine. But we have to engage our faith in His promise. So, if you've been satisfied and you say, well, I have a good job, and that's good. I'm glad you do. Uh, But what if you said, if I said to you, what would be the best in your mind? What would the the one thing you could do that would be the best. And many people said, well, it'd be this, but I can never reach it. That's what happened in Israel. Many people said, well, that land flowing with milk and honey really sounds great. But after 40 years, think about it. In the wilderness, not sure where their next meal was coming from. Millions of people. And all they had to hang on to was the promise of the promised land. And many people will fade and, and get lazy, and the, the, the world right now is in that place where it's what I call the post-pandemic depression where people say, you know, we, we're, we're good, we're good, and we get out of the rhythm and we quit pursuing. It's exactly what the devil wants because he can't stop you, but he can discourage you. He can lie to you, he can deceive, it's not for me, it's for everybody else, not for my family, it's for everybody else. And before long, we buy into that, and you just get comfortable. You just get comfortable, and you go, this is going to be good enough for me. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, the words I want you to give is I don't want you to be ignorant. Most of the time we have one word for people that we don't like or we think you're stupid. But ignorant means you're not stupid, you just don't know. You're not aware. And when I grew up in a church, never talked about the promises of God, talked about heaven and hell, and the goal was to scare us into heaven. I don't know if any of you have ever gone to a church where you went, I better get it right because I don't want to go to hell. And you lived your whole life in fear and under fear instead of saying, I am set free. Whoever the sun sets free is free. Indeed, I'm free. I am free. I'm going to get everything God has. I'm free to get everything God has for me. And so what, we ha- what happens is we, get, we find ourselves in daily routines which become daily ruts. That means it's a routine, it becomes a rut, and that means there's, there's a <laughs> no way out. You get stuck in a rut. And so I want to get us out of that rut, looking above and beyond and forward toward what God has for us. And that requires some work. Now, if you'll notice, Israel gets out of Egypt, and the first thing they encounter is, number one, they find out that Egypt is behind them. In pursuit of them. Now, just look at it like this. When you got born again, you came out of your metaphorical Egypt. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to whatever addiction you might have. And that addiction may not have been a chemical addiction, but it could have been an addiction to fear. It could be an addiction to doubt. And you don't even realize you're an addict to it. But I can tell you in five-minute conversation where a person is by how they talk. You could tell me one thing, I'm doing good, but you know, I'm, I'm sick all the time, and, and then I, I've lost my job, my car, and all of a sudden, I'm going, hold on, hold on. You spend more time talking about where you've been and what's happened to you than what God has before you. I want to talk, I want to spend my time saying, you know, it's a little rough right now, but I know what lies ahead. God has a plan for my life, a purpose for my life, a destiny for my life. I'm his chosen. I'm the apple of his eye. And I begin to look ahead and say, I may be in a tough spot right now, but I refuse to build a campfire here. I'm not camping on the side. I'm going to the summit. I'm not going to say I've got a good view because that's what a lot of, I've got a pretty good view right now. You haven't seen anything until you get to the top. And it brings glory to God when we refuse to bow our knee to good. Well, Israel went from good, they were getting food every day, they had a job. Sometimes people call it the old ball and chain, not the marriage, the job. Don't you dare tell your wife, see, I told you he's talking about you. I'm talking about you are chained to what is comfortable, you're chained to what you're used to. You're chained to the past. You're chained to your parents' attitude. You're chained to what the teachers told you. You're chained to those things, and you're trying to find freedom. And all you have to do is look straight ahead and say, I'm not going to live there anymore. Because you're not physically tied to it. You're mentally and emotionally tied to a thought that has kept you from believing you're better than that. You don't get, you, you, you have to understand there are some people with very low IQs that have become very successful because they believe they could. See, uh, the school systems and the systems measure your wisdom or your intelligence by tests. Tests don't always tell everything because sometimes people are tested and they choose to use the test to get better instead of to tell them this is just who I'm going to be. You see, many people did not finish at the top of their class today who are very successful. They just chose to think differently. And, and some of y'all are saying, man, I just need entry level. I just need good. No, God wants you to have the best. And sometimes you have to go through things to get there. When Israel comes out of Egypt, wouldn't it have been nice if they could have just had a little nice two-week stroll, which was about what it should have taken? According to theologians, it was just a, but, but they had, they, they, they didn't trust God. So they end up going in circles and going around mountains and going around places for 40 years. Waiting to get to the promise. Don't wait 40 years. Because we don't live like Methuselah anymore. <laughs> you know, you're not going to live to be like 900 years old. God help us all. Can you imagine you have no friends? <laughs> I don't even know if I want to live to 100, all my friends will be dead and I have to meet new people. I'm like, let's just all go together or something. Anyway, so (laughs) I want to be as happy and alive as I can be while I'm alive. And and I just got to tell you, there are times like 930 this morning that I look and I go, oh, God. I'm so glad you showed up at 11. I was like, Jesus, really? I mean, it was a test for me. It's a real challenge. I felt like I was back in college in my homiletics class preaching to my 20 classmates. I I mean, it's like, okay, I know it's OU Texas. I know it's fall break. Yada, 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 yada. And all of you OU fans ought to be just thrilled. That probably wouldn't have helped their win at all. It's like, oh. Sound like you're at a golf tournament. <laughs> but so Israel gets to the Red Sea. they got Egypt behind them. God is protecting them. See, sometimes we spend our whole time looking back, hoping people don't get, you know, our past doesn't come back on us. But God says, no, I'll, I'll put a cloud by day and a fire by night. If you're on your side, you get light. If you're on Egypt's side, you get darkness. God's got your back. You don't need to look back. God has your back. He is your rear guard. He's got you. You don't have to worry. Don't look back. You'll run into something. The windshield is big. The rearview mirror mirror is small. There's a reason for that. If you spend your whole life looking back, you'll miss your future. You'll miss what God has. If you spend your whole life going, I wish this and I wish that, it's done. It's over. You can't fix it. You can't unscramble eggs. But you can start over. Thank you. Everybody in this room, if I could go down, some of you, and I wouldn't want to do this because some of you would live there. But everybody has regrets. I wish I hadn't done this, or I wish I would have done differently, or I wish. We all have those, but they're done. You cannot go back and fix it. You have to look ahead. And the devil loves it when we're craning our neck toward where we've been instead of where we're going. Every day we need to get up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, and I'll be glad in it. Today is a game changer. I'm a game changer. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper today. Every tongue that rises up against me will be refuted. Why? Because God is in my corner. We give up way too much ground to the devil. You say, well, I wonder why things are happening the way they are. We are the navigator of our destiny. You are the Siri of your future. You get to declare what you want to be and where you want to go. And so Israel finds himself at the Red Sea. Test number one. Every one of us will have a Red Sea, if you haven't already. And some of you will see the Red Sea again. Well, you said, but that would be a bad thing. No, you know what that was? That was God showing his power. I think, I think it would have, God could have done a lot of different things. But I think, hey, you know, let me just show off a little bit friend of mine is a movie producer, and when he sees something great, he says, there God is again, showing off. Now, we see it as kind of an arrogant negative, but no, God's saying, I want people to see my power. I want people to see my glory. I want people to see that I'm a redeemer. I want people to see my forgiveness. I want people to see my grace. I want people to see my mercy. I want people to know I'm a God of love. I'm a God of hope. I'm a God of the future. I'm a God. That never quits and never sleeps and never slumbers. God is awake 24-7. But we treat God the way we think about ourselves. Like surely, surely, if you're mad at yourself, you think surely God's mad at me. If you're ashamed of yourself, surely God's ashamed of me. That's the way we do. We project onto God our own feelings, our own emotions without understanding God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. So at the Red Sea, just a common day at the Red Sea. But this time, Israel has nowhere to go. They either go forward or they go backwards. If they go backwards, they're trapped by the past that they left. If you go backwards, you'll be trapped by the, the past that you left. If you say, well, I'm going to go back, and, and some of you all want to go back and fix things. And, and I'm sure there were people going back, you know, God loves Pharaoh, let's go back. No, no, you don't go back. There'll be somebody else to deal with Pharaoh. You don't need to be having discussions with Pharaoh. You don't need to be having discussions about Egypt. You need to have discussions about a land flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are so big it takes two a pole and two people to carry them. We need to be moved by promise, not by punishment. And oftentimes, that's the only way that that we give attention to God is well, I'm hurting so bad. No. We need to say there's such a great promise that the pain that I'm experiencing is because I know the promise that's before me. So this time, Moses lifts his staff. The waters part. Israel goes across. We know the story. They go across on dry land. Egypt says we're going after them. They get in the middle of the Red Sea, and they drown. Great story. If you'll go through, God will drown what was behind you. God will cover what... You don't have to worry about what's behind you. If you think about what's behind you, what's behind you will rule your life and your decisions. And things are not going to go as bad as you think they're going to go because God is for you. We have to keep on moving. We have to keep on living. We have to keep on declaring. We have to keep on confessing the promises of God. So Israel goes through the Red Sea. Now think about this for a minute. What a miracle that was. I mean... We, we, take it, we tell it like it's just a little Bible story. Isn't that wonderful? God did so good. This is mammoth. This is huge. That, and, and think about how wide that, that body of water had to be because there are millions of Israelites. And they're going across on dry land. Now, all of a sudden, I can't imagine how many soldiers there were from Egypt. But I know this, they all drown. You see, the only way your Pharaoh or your Egypt lives is if you invite them to live. If you invite that into your life and and you're more focused on Pharaoh than you are God's promise. More focused on what held you captive, why you were, what you were enslaved to. And you meditate on that day and night instead of meditating on his word day and night. That's why his Bible says, his word says, meditate on it day and night. His word, not your mistakes, not your past. But meditate on his word. He has a promise for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. Now all of a sudden, this first test, Israel passes. They, they, they go ahead. Now, you think, well, that's no big deal. I don't know about you, but if there was a body of water each side, like the Devon Tower on each side of me, that high, you're going, this is scary. Don't you think that would be a little scary? I mean, some of you, they didn't even have life vests. I mean, nowadays, we'd have life vests. We wouldn't even trust God. We'd say, hey, okay, everybody get a vest on. <laughs> In case something does happen, maybe we can float. I don't think so. I think you'd be so far underwater that that vest would be no good. But that's what we do. We put on a vest and say, okay, I can float now. God doesn't want you to float. God wants you to walk. God wants you to press. God wants you to move toward the destiny and promise he has. We don't float and get there. There Israel fights through. They go on the other side. Miriam starts dancing. Boy, that's a word you didn't use in the church I grew up in. You couldn't play cards, pool, or boogie. <laughs> but they were celebrating the work of God, getting them on the other side. And you would think, isn't that enough? So Israel thinks, this is great. We made it through the... This is an incredible event. But then the next encounter they have is another body of water called the Jordan. Now, the Jordan wasn't like the Red Sea. God made something a little different. And I, I think it's like increasing the test. Not temptation, the test. Saying I want you to know I am God and I'm going to get you to your promise but by the time you get there, you're going to be strong because you've experienced me. You see, it would have been cool if God just would have like helicoptered them from Egypt into Canaan. and Everything's great. But he knew that he had to bring strength to them because when they got to Canaan, there were going to be giants in the land. You remember the story? Giants. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. All of a sudden, Israel has to readjust how they see themselves. You have to readjust how you think about yourself and how you see yourself. Look, you know your failures better than anybody. Some of you won't admit them. But you know them. And if you're not careful, you will focus on them instead of focusing on the promise. And it's exactly what the devil wants you to do, is focus on all the reasons you shouldn't have been able to cross the Red Sea. All the reasons you don't deserve to be pursuing the promise. And he will talk you out of what Jesus died you into. So they get to the Jordan. It's at flood stage. Now, I think that's incredible because God could have easily said, you know what, they passed the water test. This one, they're going to be certified lifeguards when they get through the Jordan. Because they're thinking, this is big, it's flood stage. And this time, God does something a little different. Rather than somebody standing on the bank, Moses in this case, and and extending his scepter, his his staff, rather than doing that, God says, okay, here's what I want you to do now. I know you trusted me to stand there. And then all of a sudden, the waters are pushed back, and you looked in the middle of the Red Sea, which should have been wet and soaked, and it's dry. Okay, it's good. You you looked, and this looks passable if the waters don't collapse. But now in the Jordan, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to have the priest carry it out into the waters at flood stage. Because the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So I want you to, I want you to take this Ark, and, and now can you imagine, I'd be like, priest. I've, I've got COVID, I can't do that. <laughs> I would have used COVID on that one. I'm like, I, I, you don't want to be around me. Distance, social distance, I can't carry it. We can always find a reason not to go out into the depth that God wants us to go to to get to the promise. And there will be some deep waters in getting to the promise. And God doesn't do that to, to, to tempt you. He does it to test you to say, please trust me. It's easy for us to love God. It's easy for us to be loved by God. What's hard is for us to trust God. And I say we, us. Because I love God with everything I me, and I'm going to tell you all something. God loves me so much. I don't even know how has enough for you. God just loves me. And I just love. See, when you get this out of it, your- some of you right now are resistant. Like, Why well, that's arrogant. No, see there, that's what I'm saying. What you ought to be saying is, wow, he has the same love for me. We must be brothers and sisters. I used to think, what an attitude somebody would have to say, God loves me more than anybody else. Everybody ought to think that because guess what? God does love you more than anybody else. He loves me more than anybody else. He loves us more than anybody else. God loves us. And once you grasp that love, it will elevate your value of who you are. You'll no longer treat yourself bad. If you're treating, if somebody says they, they treat me bad, it's only because they treat themselves bad. You treat people the way you treat yourself. Now, you may not do it overtly out in public, with a, but you don't like you, so you don't like anybody else. That's what happens. We project onto other people what we feel about ourselves. This is real scary. You're going to be careful with your conversations this week. Yeah, if you treat other people mean, I can promise you, you are mean to yourself. I treat myself well. I love me. You know what? That enables me to love you. And some of you, you're freaking out right now. You you have such a hard time loving you that what I'm saying is challenging you. But you need to look in the mirror, and and it it doesn't matter where your spouse is or just look and say, oh, my goodness, look at what God made. Wow. I am the apple of his eye. I, I look just like the Father. I am so Awesome. God, could you help everybody else be as awesome as me? I'm praying for everybody else today to be as awesome as I am. No, you got to get this in you. You are awesome. You are awesome. You are incredible. You're phenomenal. You're amazing. Why? You are genetically connected to the creator of heaven and earth. Your spiritual man, woman, whatever, has God's DNA all up in it. I got this is marriage counseling right here. You don't speak to your spouse the way they are, you speak to who they're becoming. Some of y'all got in a fight on the way here and she is elbowing you in the ribs right now. I am. I'm going from pastoring to meddling, but I'll come back. <laughs> this was a revelation to me. Some of you have measured your, your worth by how tall you are, how short you are. Some of you measured your worth and going, I'm not worth that much because I got a little extra I'm carrying around. <laughs> in other words, your metabolism challenged. Well, let me see if I can find another path. (laughs) So they get to the Jordan River at flood stage, and they carry the ark out in obedience to God. Now, think about this. I don't know how many of you have ever whitewater rafted, but I'm telling you, some of the currents are crazy scary. Can you imagine just for a moment that this Jordan is a Category 5, and it is pushing and pulling, and they're standing in this, carrying this ark of the covenant. And all of a sudden, because of their obedience to God, saying we care so much about getting to our promise that you have promised us, that I would rather die getting there than live being outside there. It takes sacrifice. It takes trust. It takes all kinds of things to get us to that place. They said we're going to do it. And they did. And the water stopped flowing again. Now they get on the other side. It's another celebration. But think about this just for a minute. They're thinking, we've crossed the Red Sea, the Jordan at flood stage. Now, we're looking at a city, a fortified city called Jericho. Armed, manned, powerful fortress. At some point, here's what happens. If we don't include God at every Red Sea, at every Jordan, we will lose our strength. We'll lose our faith. We'll say, God, I'm tired. And this is what's important. We all have to fight spiritual fatigue, mental fatigue, emotional fatigue, physical fatigue. We were built to sleep well. We were built to trust in God so that we don't get mentally, spiritually, emotionally fatigued, trying to do things in our own strength. It's not by our might nor by our power, but by his spirit that we get on the other side. Now, Israel could have easily gotten, and they did. They started getting fatigued. God says, okay, I know you're getting tired. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 12 guys and send them into the land of promise. They're going to bring back some things that are going to help you see what's there. God was continually trying to get them to believe by the words he spoke and what the spies brought back out of the land of promise. He's trying to take Israel from their Egypt mentality to a new mentality of freedom and blessing. They go in, they come back, and they say, look, here's what's there. And I don't know how many of the people decided we need help visualizing what we're going toward. This is why you put things on your refrigerator. This is why you write down goals. This is why you write things down, to be reminded of what God put in your heart. Do you know what you want? Does anybody else know what you want? Does God know what you want? Have you put it down and every day bothered God with what you need and want? I bother God. But you know what? I say that he's not even even that much. Bothered by me. You think that you're asking God and that you're exhausting the creator of heaven and earth, exhausting his patience, exhausting his love, and that's impossible to do. So every day, get up. 2,000 people at Mosaic Church, OKC. 2,000. Said, well, I'm looking around. Don't see that today. I see it here. And I won't give up. And trust me, I will not give up. Well, why do you count people? Because people count. <laughs> That's why you count people, because people count. And so now, all of a sudden, here's Jericho, this huge city. And it, Israel's like, oh, what else? We crossed the Red Sea. Israel, uh, Egypt was behind us. You collapse them. We made it across the Jordan at flood stage. Every one of these obstacles was God saying, I want to increase your faith, not your fear. I want you to know that I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I won't abandon you when you find yourself at a river, at flood stage, when you find yourself all alone, when you find yourself in a dilemma, I will not leave you. And now he said, Let me show you what I can do to walls. And then he tells Israel march around seven times, seventh day, blow all your horns. Can you imagine? I mean, the people of Jericho didn't even, I mean, they're watching from the wall going, wow, these people are nuts. They These these people, they really, I mean, they didn't get all freaked out and go, we got to blow them up. They're like, yep, look at them. What they didn't know was, Purpose and destiny was resident in their lives beyond any wall, beyond any river, beyond any sea. Some of you are back at the Red Sea hoping it'll part again so you can get across. Because you didn't take advantage of the... And God will part your Red Sea. He does that. Metaphorically, He will do that. He's saying, I'll do it again. If you'll, just, if you'll trust me when I push the waters back, if you'll walk through, I'm going to open them for you. But many people, I want a new job, but then you go, but I'm afraid to leave this when I've had it for 20 years. I hate it. I'm miserable. But, you know, I'm kind of used to this. You get comfortable. You get comfortable. Number one enemy of your destiny is your comfort. And most of us, what do we do? We live for comfort. But the only way we find comfort is through challenge. Trusting God and overcoming so that we find the comfort through challenge. Comfort doesn't come without a challenge. If it does, it's not the right kind of comfort. The second thing is conversation. We know that God is really big on the words that we speak. Well, I'm going to pray, but I doubt if anything will happen. Then don't pray. Did I say that out loud? Why would you pray? Uh, it'd be like one of, one of your kids coming up and say, hey, uh, could I have dinner today? I don't think it's going to happen. Why ask? If you don't think it's going to happen, why ask? Well, you think this is roulette? <laughs> I'm going to place my chips on a number. No, this is God. And when you, when you say, when you're speaking to God, say, God, I declare that I'm going to experience peace. I'm going to experience faith. I'm going to experience joy. I'm going to experience trust. I'm going to experience your blessing. I'm going to experience everything you have, God. You will confuse hell. The devil will go around beating his little imps because you're saying things that haven't come to fruition yet, but he doesn't know it. And the imp doesn't go, oh, my goodness, they're victorious. And you're in the same place you were yesterday, but you have victory in your heart. So wherever you walk, you walk in victory. Comfort. That's not what we live for. We don't live for comfort. We live to glorify God. And in glorifying God, we find comfort. You see what I'm saying? The pursuit is to glorify God. And when we do that, we find comfort. Second thing is watch your conversations. Don't, don't, don't let people steer you down the pathway to your past. That's what happened to a lot of the Israelites. They started talking about, well, they had three meals a day in Egypt, and they start talking about, at least we knew what we were going to get every day. And then they complained to Moses, why, didn't you, why did you bring us out of the wilderness to die? That negative talk. And then the ten spies come back after going in because God says, I want to show you what I promised. And they come back with fruit that's so big it takes two of them to carry. We can't go in. There are giants in the land, and we interviewed them, and they said we look like grasshoppers, and we just want to tell all of Israel, we're just a bunch of hoppers. And the ones who believed and declared it didn't get to go into the promise because they doubted God. God wants you to go into the promise, but if you live in doubt, you never get to the promise. Then the company you keep is critical to the promise you possess. If somebody really likes you, like I've had people say, that makes me so mad. My response to them is, that's toxic. Your words are toxic. I mean, you can be mad. So is there anything wrong with saying it? It's not a sin to say it, but you're just holding yourself back. You just decided to build a campfire either at the Red Sea, the Jordan, or around Jericho. And you're waving at the people on the wall. You're not moving forward. You're just camped there. And so the company you keep, if somebody's around you saying, they're always saying negative stuff, you have to address it at some point with a smile on your face and say, I'm just, I, I can't go there. I have limits. I have boundaries. Now, when I'm helping somebody work through something and they're sharing their pain and what they're going through and what they're telling me is I need help getting out of this. I'm okay with that. But if all you want to do is have a discussion to say, let's camp here and have a, a pitiful small group. Let's talk about all the bad things that have happened in our lives instead of taking, I'm going to talk about all the good things that are about to happen in my life. I'm telling you, I may, I may look like I'm in a bad place right now, but if you hang out with me long enough, I, when I was a youth pastor, I'd have to tell teenagers, how many of you? Let's just march through hell with empty water guns and believe God for the water. See, some of you have determined you're not going to do something until you have something, but doing something is what makes you have something. You have to exercise faith. You have to move forward. God is saying, when you get there, I'll be there. God is already out in front of us. He's already created a way for us to get on the other side of our mess. But we have to go there. Sometimes we just need a little help. Someone asked a paratrooper how many jumps he had made. He responded by saying none. I was pushed out 18 times though. (laughs) Sometimes you just need somebody to love you enough to push you out. And to experience the exhilaration of that which you know not of until somebody pushes you. The problem is we think when somebody's pushing us that they're being mean to us. But the reality, if somebody really loves you, they will push you to your destiny. They will talk you into your destiny. They will help you into your destiny. They will walk with you into your destiny. They will not. They love you too much to let you stay where you are. Bible tells us we're to provoke one another. We don't like to be provoked. That's a shame. I'll sue you. You'll go to jail if you provoke me. This is such a sissy society. Everybody wants to just this is case rosara whatever it will be will be. The future's not ours, you see. Case God bless Doris Day. <laughs> it's one of those songs you say, well, it kind of feels good. No, I don't want to feel good. I want to experience the best God has. I don't want just a little dash of God. I want God to be the main ingredient. Look and see. Keep your eyes open. Don't fall asleep. I mean... Spiritually speaking, I want you to go to sleep tonight. So, the pastor told us to stay up. I'm on day three. <laughs> you get to divinely pursue what God has. Closing with this Psalm 61 From the ends of the earth. I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in your shelter, in the shelter of your wings. You see, things don't happen overnight, and they don't often happen. Easily or conveniently. And the reason for that is God's not punishing. God is preparing. If we don't go through those things, we don't get stronger. We don't focus. When something is difficult and we know it's going to be difficult, we focus. We prepare. And God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Sometimes the thing that you think is the worst thing that could happen in your life is the thing that's preparing you for what's next and keeping you from what God doesn't want you to do. And sometimes those things look really good in the moment, but sometimes God says, well, that's probably not the best. It's good, and it's better than where you were, but it's not my best. And sometimes you have to be willing to trust God to get from better to best because we oftentimes settle for better, and all the time... People are inclined to settle for good. But God says, I want you to get better than the best. I want you to get the best. You have to go through the good, the better, to get to the best. And we have to understand, we're not going to settle. We're not going to settle. We're not going to camp on the side of the mountain. We're going to summit the mountain. We're going to the top. But that takes passion, purpose, and you have to acknowledge destiny brings other people to God. When you start living your best life, it will encourage others to live their best life. That's the whole goal. When you love others, they will learn to love. When you believe, they'll learn to believe. We set the course and the narrative by the life that we live. We're still preaching about what Israel going through. All they went through. Thousands of years later, their story is what helps us write our story. That's why the Bible exists. If God did it then, he'll do it now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't show favoritism, but he does honor faith. Watch the words that you speak every day. They are writing the story of your life. And they will stop you short of your destiny. If you can talk yourself out of the promise, trust me, Our flesh will tempt to do that. So I have to fight those. You have to fight those. And it all begins with what you're saying. And that's how come Caleb, when the Israelites came back from spying out the land, the ten complained. And the Bible says he silenced their voices. He saw what they saw, but he believed what they didn't believe. And why did he? Because he saw what they saw, but he saw God as bigger than the giants in the land. And let me say this, God is bigger than the giants you're facing this week. God is bigger. Let's pray. Father, thank you for working with us as you did with the the Israelites in the wilderness. Thank you for working with us, God, and, and, and still hanging on to the promise until we get there. You're never going to give what you've promised to us to somebody else. It will always be our promise. Hopefully, we will all get to that promise and that it won't be in a warehouse in heaven. And when we get there, we'll look and see we didn't get to the promise. God, help us to be tenacious, full of faith words that line up with your word. You will not leave us. You will strengthen us. And Lord, you're able to do more than we can think, ask, or imagine according to the power that works in us. So let that power work in us today, God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask all of you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of salvation. And some of you watching online, you need to pray this. Some of you in-house, you need to pray this. And I want to ask you to pray this with me right now. Say, Father God... Thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I call on your name. And I declare today, I'm saved. Amen you prayed that prayer in-house, in just a moment I want to ask you to meet with one of our prayer team members. Just tell them, Dad gave my life to Jesus. They'll celebrate with you and pray that you can stay true to the journey that you're on to get to your promise. If you want to do this as well as those online, please text the word SAVED to 405 513 You say, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us that that brings strength to us when we tell others, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved." It's powerful. So do that uh, and let one of our prayer team members know. At this time, we want to uh, receive our tithes and offerings. And uh, this is a moment that I just want you to listen just for a minute. And and some of you are tempted. I've already made my decision what I'm going to do or not do. That's not really what this is about as much as, again, getting us to trust God, not just love God. And these people are going out to serve. They're not leaving because they love me. I know them. Uh, Some of you look at them and, well, that's they're leaving. That's okay. They're serving. So don't don't get mad at them. Um, But here's the deal. Uh, God wants to get you to your financial destiny. You have a financial purpose and destiny. You need to know that. That you don't just have a a promise of, of having a peaceful life, a joyful life. Those are all promised. But God also wants to bless you. And so every week I try to talk to you about how to walk in the blessing of God, the financial blessing of God. And uh, it begins with giving and tithing. He said, first off, if you don't tithe, you're robbing me. It's what he said in Malachi. Then he said, if you'll give, it'll be given good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So God says, these are the promises I have for you. Financially, these are the promises. And the easiest thing to probably acquire, really, to be honest with you, is when you start giving. It's It's the easiest way to find out your blessing. It, it just is easy way because God says I'm I'm not a man that I should lie. God will not lie. So if you want to give online by text, and those of you watching online, you can text the word "give" to four zero five five four six two 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 six. You can set it up on a debit card or credit card, or you can put your phone on the QR code behind me, and uh, it will take you to that giving site. You can also give on your way out. They're giving receptacles on your way out. Also, you can mail it to 5821 Northwest Expressway, 73132 Oklahoma City. Or you can go to our website, mosaicokc.church forward slash give. All of those are on the screen. Also, we have cards in the seat back in front of you that you can take home with you if you forget this. Not that you will because you have the mind of Christ. You're going to remember everything. You're going to be able to quote my sermon today better than I can because I can't ever repeat anything twice. It's just the way I flow. Anyway, uh, so I want to ask our prayer team to come to the left of the stage. And a couple of reminders here. Please get this. If you want to be on my midweek call on Wednesday nights, you can text the word call to 405-500-1310. It's a one-minute, 30-second to two-minute inspirational call just to kind of lift you in the middle of the week. Most of the time I lift you. Sometimes I encourage you. <laughs> get in church. <laughs> but you can get on that call by just texting CALL to 405-513-10. Also, if you'd like to serve, uh, you could text the word. You don't have to stop at the kiosk. Text the word SERVE to that same number, 405-513-10, and that goes to a different category. We'll get your number, your name, and we'll call you and get you plugged in. Very important that you get involved, okay? Uh, Well, let's stand to our feet, and uh, we're going to go out with a shout because it's just kind of what we do. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crowe. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.